Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's April 8th discussion was about my topic of interest, complexity, and what I've been calling a Jevons paradox of complexity. So we were asking how much complexity is too much? How do we measure it? What's the business risk? Have we made complexity cheaper or just hidden it away and the, pi the price is still going to be paid for building incredibly complex systems? We went through that whole theme. We got to a lot of the business concerns and the business value. Um, and one of the things I kept coming back to is, is the complexity of the systems we built going to come back and bite us or not? Enjoy the conversation. It's a really good one. Thanks. So I had I had actually a topic that I wanted to dive into more that has been coming up like weeds um, in conversations, which is complexity and the the risk of complexity. And I know y'all have heard me talk about what I've what I'm calling a Jevons paradox of complexity going on. And I'm trying to figure out if we're getting more and more complex systems. Right? One, you, I'm I'm happy to have an argument over. Hey, yes, we these. This is getting really, really complex, like we're expanding complexity. But I, I believe we are, but we're doing it in ways that hide a lot of that complexity from other users or from the, from the end consumer. So we're building these, these tall stacks, a lot of complexity hidden behind the stack that you don't see because you don't see it. It creates a Jevons paradox where you're like, oh, I can move faster because I'm, I'm not worried about this whole stack of stuff anymore. Jenga. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Jenga. Well, but so, so, and that's where the Jevons complexity paradox comes into me or Jevons paradox for complexity is, Hey, I can build all this stuff. It's great because I don't have to worry about all this underlying stuff. Underlying technology stack. I can just go serverless and don't have to worry about anything that happens behind the scenes. And clearly that's happening. And clearly people are moving faster and they're building more and more things. The, the question I end up with is, does that complexity still accumulate and does the, does the debt come due for all this complexity and does it lead to a catastrophic failure where you don't understand how systems work anymore and you can't support them? Or are we going to just basically say, yeah, here's, an, uh, here's a functional abstraction, don't have to worry about it anymore and I'm done. Go ahead, Rich. I have a question to ask. When was the last yeah. time you worked on your own automobile? Uh, two weekends ago, but that's me. Yeah, it's been a it's been a while for me. I used to do almost all of my own work, almost all of it. I mean, even even to the point of taking heads off and replacing gaskets and and uh, you know and shit like that. But um, I haven't touched a car in probably. I mean, other than putting oil and water in it uh, and changing tires for probably. 15 years. I've never touched a car. But well, Rich, here, here's, here's my, but th that, well, that to me is a different your, dimension. Well, wait, 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 wait. What's the context, Rich? Are you, are you well, asking the context the, of the cars are getting, or the, the premise? That, that's, the complexity that's built into our automobiles that we now use, I mean, to almost take for granted everything from um, the driver assistance mirrors the um the ignition that doesn't fail and, and you know when was the last anybody time anybody set the timing on their on their automobile oh yeah it's um, 25 or 30 for me okay so the oh, you really point, you can't the it's point all computer being, controlled i'm sorry it's all computer controlled timing's not even up well exactly. and, if, and if you want to learn there, if if you want to learn more join me for a twitter chat at the top of the hour, because I'm going to be with Qualcomm and one of their software groups, one of their software partners talking about this very issue. Cars? Uh, complexity <laughs> in the car. Yeah, oh. complexity in the car and the driver experience and how that's evolving. Okay, but my, I guess my point is, Shameless yes, plug. there is, there is, a, there is <laughs> a technical, there, there can be a technical debt and we pay, we pay for it. But we pay for it on, you know, on a, on a lot of different bases, and the question is, you can have additional complexity. The question is, you know, is it 
is the convenience or is the benefit of that of covering up that complexity worth it to maintain and continue to pay for and we do pay for it but and i i would say that it doesn't automatically come with debt that comes due you know in a catastrophic in a catastrophic failure i so I want to I want to pull back on the car analogy a little bit, okay? Because I think it's I think it's useful, because cars themselves over you know a fairly long period of time have been getting in in some internally more complex, operationally experienced less complex, right? Um, and a lot of the things that you're describing are resilience factors that have made the the cars operationally simpler as a unit. Well, I also think the diagnosis got simple, right? It used to be listen to where that noise came from. Now I put a computer in and it tells me what's wrong. Yeah. Right. I've got much, much better tools. Exactly. And, and and I well, think the car has become a system as a system unit. Right. Right. So that the car is the car is now an integrated unit. It's much more efficient, but it's designed as a as an integral unit where repairing a piece of an integral unit is not as much a thing. But and, and if you designed if you designed your if you designed your your web-based or cloud-based application, your cloud native application, with that same kind of modularity and and kind of continuity with the end user's experience in mind, over time, the question is where does the debt accrue because there is a there is debt and how does it get paid down? So, so I guess my 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 point was, Rob, you started out by saying almost as a presupposition, with the complexity comes the debt, and with the debt, the the threat of catastrophic failure. So you have a culture, the automotive culture is uh, has been drilled into folks for centuries. It is graceful degradation and certain other things that go along with those. Catastrophe is not an option. I think that if you really wanna use the car analogy, compare the cars to Boeing and Boeing changed executive management and and became stockholder focused uh, 20, 30, uh, more like 30, 40 years ago. And now look at the multiple failures Boeing has had by offshoring, by not listening to their engineers and by abandoning their graceful degradation culture. Okay. And I completely agree with the whole notion of graceful degradation um, or kind of continuous there's a continuity there's a there's a, a commitment to some sort of continuity yes and but, that i think is that can be designed for it but it comes with a price yes. price tag. one of but, them but hold, is but hold what on. we call it, agility today those it, those cultures it, aren't as agile because they have to do a lot more testing and validation that this isn't going to be a catastrophe. <laughs> so, Rob, did we yeah. did we did we miss your point? Did you 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 what I what I think is is happening is I think the analogies are not um, are not quite right because the car and Tim's nodding. The, the car the challenge with the car analogy I have is that it doesn't map into the way we're building services today. The car analogy yes. would map if instead of hiring a moving truck, I hired a fleet of Ubers. And so, what what because because what we're what we're doing is we're saying, all right, I need to do a work, I need to do a job, I need to I need to move my house from A to B, and instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to it's all furniture. I'm just going to hire out a, a thousand Uber Uber drivers. Uber's now a service. I don't need a car, right? This is the, if you take the car analogy, you're like, yeah, owning cars is the problem, not the operational simplicity of a car. It's 
this is because this is the message we give because we've made cars super, super easy to own, but they're like, hey, it's a capital asset. Don't want to own it. I don't want to learn how to operate it. I can hire a car when I need a car. That's, that's where we are. And we've said, you know what? And the complexity of not owning a car and not having one to rely on, you know, that I'm going to have a service that transports me rather than a device that transports me, that thinking then translates into it. So now we've said in this car analogy, we said, all right, I'm, I'm, in, I'm buying transportation. I'm not buying the unit. I am now dependent on a service, a driver, a car, availability, roads, right? Roads are either way. But so now for me to get the transportation service, the complexity is not in the engine and the diagnostic tools and whether I can fix it or not. The complexity is now in this integrated system of components that I have. And you don't have to, and you're saying, which I think is reasonable, I don't care about cars anymore. I care about transportation of place to place. And then you're like, all right, so now I need to apply that to moving my furniture. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to call up my service and get that furniture moved. And you're, you could even say, I don't even care how it does it. The furniture dealer comes in and says, I'm going to do this by hiring a fleet of Uber drivers. And they're each going to take a piece of furniture and drive it to, to my job site. It, it seems, and, uh, sorry, Rob, uh, it, are you, do you have more you wanted to say first? I, I, I think this is a good plateau for the where I where I was taking the analogy. I can I'll go further, but I'd love to get. I'm happy to be well, interrupted. And, and I might I might be um, as Rich pointed out. I might be just taking it down a different rat hole. But um, the car analogy, as I think about it, is really interesting as compared to you know the uh, our common discussion, which is the complexity and deployment of infrastructure from yeah. uh, you know a typical edge thinking um, point, right? So. Uh, one thing that's true about a car that isn't true about edge in general, um, I mean, it could be for some, but for, for many, it won't be, is that um, we could think of a car as being an individual Google or Microsoft cloud in the sense that the car manufacturer gets to deploy something that is completely homogenous every single time, right? And so on top of it being homogenous, they have um, a simple supply chain of controlled updates to broken Kubernetes, meaning um, replacing the flywheel or broken um, uh, deployment, uh, replacing spark plugs, you know, pick, pick your poison. Um, and in reality, while there is considerable complexity to the novice, uh, I would argue that for those with the right tools at scale, fixing a car today is actually easier than it was before because many of the components are actually plug in and, and replace. The things that they've made hard um, because it's more about convenience of how they build the engine compartment and put the engine in it and, and maximize space utilization, et cetera, things that are hard are things that we would normally have thought of as our job like changing oil. Now you've got to go buy a new wrench every single time you buy a new car because of where the um, oil filter is. But on the other hand, they've also changed oil so that now the average car can go 10,000 miles without an oil change. Whereas in the old days, it was recommended to do it more like around 3,000 miles because the oil would break down faster depending on climate and driving conditions and shit like that. So I, you know, I think the, the problem with using the car as a comparison is that um, we, have to, we have to take it a, a little bit farther than, than, than the superficial notion of, oh, you open the hood and it looks complex. Because the, um, the complexity is much more effectively managed in the deployment of 100,000 cars that can be identically matched to each other as they're constructed versus the deployment of infrastructure where even month to month, you might have different firmware versions on the hardware that underlies, underlies the software that you've deployed as a simple example. But, so, but there's even another piece to me from, you know, because, and this is where the analogy doesn't break down as well. Um, or, I mean, or we'd have to take it in a place where we talk about like city management and, you know, 
what Simon Wardley was on Tuesday. Not Simon Wardley. Um, Simon Cross. Simon. Ah. Yeah. Um, That's him. Swim, swim AI, Simon. Yep, yep. Was talking about Uber tapping into the Las Vegas streetlights to optimize you know, their navigation routes. Right. To me, it, you know, wouldn't it, what, you know, now we're talking about a level of complexity where they're receiving data to make decisions. They could actually be influencing, you know, the, I could this is, easily this see is a message where they're paying Las Vegas to influence the timing to give Uber drivers a better. It's already in process. Like, this is V2V, this is V2X. When you say, when you look at, if you look at C-V2V, C-V2X, you'll start to see some of the things that are already in flight with that. I guess, but I guess the question I'd have is, I understand, Rich, the the point of cars are getting more complex, but it seems like we're trying to beyond that. We're trying to fit the car analogy to IT, and it. And I guess the question I have is, do we need it? Do we need an analogy? I mean, can we just talk about <laughs> well, the challenge we, of we IT is complex? We don't, but the way uh, maybe I'm keying off of the way Rob posed the question. And fair, I I might be misunderstanding you, Rich. I mean, that's totally within the realm. <laughs> well, no, but but I I do I do think that it's tempting to go to the car analogy. But when I look at cloud and the interdependencies that we've created with cloud, yes, and the services, um, that that are enabling people to build like I mean, it's, it, look at Lambda as a as a thing. Lambda is its own service, pretty easy to use, but it doesn't work without having, you know, a gajillion accompanying AWS services around it, right? It's serverless. Me, it's not me, services less. So let me actually let me, back up, I, let me back up for a second and go back to the point that Rocky made about business continuity and 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 graceful degradation. There is reason to think that services delivered to a an end user not necessarily a consumer but a business user can be designed with graceful degradation with business mm -hmm. continuity it takes additional effort it takes additional planning takes a different methodology but i would argue that one of the great contributions that Netflix has made to services at scale built on cloud has been exactly that, graceful degradation and continuity of service. It may not be at all of the same levels, but they were quite, they were quite adept at that. Now, what does that what does that imply imply for the amount of effort that they have to go to to keep that up and running? What are the costs of doing it? What kind of scale do they need in order to maintain that? That I believe would be, I think, a good question. Well, I, well, I go ahead, go ahead, Greg. One of the things that I think the car analogy misses is we look at the wrong part of the car analogy in the sense that, and I think it matches what Rich was kind of saying is one of the things that we talk about in complexity is actually the rate of change in the item. And so from that perspective, to me, a car's complexity has been amortized over 150 years. And so we can say it's complex, but the, difference that has occurred over time is very small. And I think we're actually the thing that if you really want to look at a car analogy versus our services analogy, to me is the coming wave of electric vehicles in the sense that, right, we have a bunch of infrastructure in place, gas stations, service stations, control points, all of these things for gas powered vehicles. Now, that complexity is already consumed within the system. Now add mm. the fact that we have states now, countries declaring that you shall have 75% electric vehicles by next week or whatever their goals are, right? That adds a complexity to the system 
that isn't necessarily bounded or controlled. And to me, if you're going to start talking about trying to find an analogy of where things are going and the challenges that you're facing with regards to complexity, to me, the complexity that we fight or are challenging or challenged by tends to be in the, how are we dealing with this huge rate of change across a whole distribution set of things so that we can maintain the acceptable level of you know, graceful failure, failure in, in face of things, right? If I'm driving an electric vehicle and I don't have a charging station, right? That's a complexity that is either overlooked, not considered, right? Um, Actually, to me, that's, that's the car analogy. It's a system. Side of the yeah, it's a system. Rob, would you, yeah. would you consider taking a minute and restating your question and then giving your own point of view on it? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be happy to. And, and Greg, I, I appreciate the systems thinking. Before I do that, Rich, I'm, I'm, I have this vivid memory of, um, a, of like two years ago, there was some issue with um, oil and gas production and they, the pipelines were shut, like, like something happened locally and they couldn't ship gas. And Texas came to a complete halt because nobody could resupply the gas station. And so it's, it's, it is so easy for us to think the car, and Greg is right, it's access to fuel and mechanics and the road systems and the interstate highway system, right, which has been in the news a whole bunch lately. And, you know, that's considered the largest machine ever built, right? The interstate highway system is a supporting machine to the car infrastructure. Um, and it's easy for us to be, have that those systems be invisible to us until they break. Um, okay. And so from that perspective, what, what I see happening in tech is that we have, we're, we're, we're going so fast. And, and I also, I think Greg's point about velocity is really important and, and handling evolution. The, we're going so fast that we're like, okay, I can use this service that I don't know anything about behind the scenes to supply my data, supply my analysis, do machine learning, do voice training, like all these pieces and parts, you know, even name services and stuff like that. All in, I just use a service, I make a request and I go. Um, and I think that's amazing. I don't wanna sell it short. The idea that, that I don't have to worry about, you know, I, you know, we talk about this, I can get data objects cached globally in a, with a 10 minute operation on my part and, and not have to worry about distributing files across the world in a timely way. And I can do that in 10 minutes and it just works. Um, is, is fantastic. And so I'm able to build something much more complex than I ever could. Let me just use the caching example. But there's a, you know, in our, in our delivering software, which is mostly on-premises self-managed software, we consume you know, 10s, 15s, 20s of services in that process. I'm not even talking about a web app where you're daily interacting with all these other uh, things behind the scenes. It's amazingly powerful that I can build those things without having to learn how to, how to construct them, right? Even though there's a ton of things that are, those services are being done. That, that to me is the complexity paradox. I can build something amazing on top of those services. I'm not Netflix. So I'm not building, you know, and they didn't do this for fun or out of precognition. They built circuit breakers. You know, it, you've seen the battle star of their interdependency map. It's insane. And they built that because they knew that when one thing broke, their whole system could fail. And so they had to build all these circuit breakers and protections into that, that system. Right. And what, what I'm saying is, is that the apparent cost of adding that complexity into the system, I don't think is, is felt by the people building those systems until it breaks, but it doesn't break very often. Well, so, it, eh, I think it's intended to, to basically take that pain away or take that threat. Now, I don't know about the threat, but it's certainly, they're, they're trying to reduce complexity 
and and they're emphasizing speed, agility. Um, Which is the Jevons paradox, right? So there's a ton of complexity behind the scenes that I don't worry right. about. So I can build more and more complex stuff on top of that service. Okay. So because my, actually, this maybe is the, the insight I've been trying to get to. Every company has a complexity budget. That, that they're human engineers, and this is Rocky's point with the jets, every, that their engineers can think about. And if you take something off of their complexity pile, it, they ha you, you have a tendency to add complexity back in to, to you, know, you, don't, you don't like, oh, wow, everything's much simpler now. I don't have to worry about it. You then add it back in somewhere. That's, I, yeah, the Jeff, that's Jevons paradox. But Even if you don't add as much. I don't think you did in this case, Rob. Okay. I think you automated hidden complexity, right? So if you think about how did I manage all these services before, there was some DevOps scripts, there's some name server configuration, there was a whole bunch of hidden complexity that used to be done in a non-consistent fashion, right? When, when you look at effectively the service mesh that Netflix built, built they automated that. So they took a whole bunch of one-off non-complexity stuff, put it into a system that could be better managed and then they move their services onto it. So that's where I think the complexity thing goes off its map. And I think the other thing that goes off is we can move quickly because we decoupled these services. So I can have one group that focuses on one thing and does it really, really well, like CDN, right? And you don't have to become an expert in CDN. Because that's, that's a long curve. So the decoupling of services allows you to move more quickly because you can specialize your resources around a given service. And then the third element you've been talking around is, is effectively the, um, well, what's the word I'm looking for? The resiliency of the service. And, and that, by the way, is a choice, right? And, and we used to use the analogy in testing. If I'm writing something that's going to flip a, a light switch or do some menial task, my QA doesn't have to be that good because I can always walk over and flip the light switch. If I'm building a pacemaker or something that's life critical, like a car, it has to be a very different level of complexity. Or not complexity. Complexity, that's a new word. I like it that has word. to have a, 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 a totally different view of availability and fault um, sustainability when you put something like that together. But I, I would argue the complexity is just, it's a misnomer. I think in almost every case, we've reduced complexity. It appears more complex. The complexity that we automated, though, were things we just didn't see. And, and so you were hitting at the crux of my, my, the, my, my issue. There's a part of me that says that this is a long-term sustainable gain. That, that we actually have a Jevons complexity paradox that we can now build and sustain more complex systems. Yay, that's amazing. There's another part of me that says it's hidden complexity and you are still vulnerable to cascading failures within the system that you actually don't even know if they're there or not. Like what happened with Amazon where they had one service go down and it tripped through all, you know, all of their other services. And, and, what, and the reason why that's so concerning to me is because with a Jevons paradox situation, all of that is accelerating. That's the, that's the challenge with Jevons Paradox. So if we think systems are complex today and we're building hidden complexity in there, if, if we're piling that on, does the system have a breaking point where complexity is actually the, you know, too much? And then we have catastrophic failures we can't recover from, or is it just the new normal and we've reached a, there's a new complexity threshold? You, there's, you, a, there's, a, there's, an in, there's an input that you're, that you're kind of, you seem to be holding steady and not thinking or not including in your formulation. And that is um, one, of the, one of the things that automation does for us over time with learning is understanding, you know, let's put a, let's put a Pareto optimization in here. You know, there's the 80-20 rule. I can take and optimize, optimally design a set of systems 
where the number of dials and levers and switches when I'm first building the machine are not used. You know, the majority of them are not used. There's, there's, you know, 20%, 20% of 20% of the, the functionality or the choice deals with 80% of the situation, 80% of the, the, the problem. And those are the places where we tend over time to automate. That's where we, that's where we put automation. And I agree with you, Rob, that you move too fast and don't think about corner cases. Don't think about all, I mean, the complexity of all of the, uh, all of the possible, all, um, if you are putting something at risk that has, you know, major kind of existential value to you, then yeah, I think you're right. You can get out, get out, get way too far over your skis and rely on systems without proper consideration. But there is automation that goes into all of these systems. It's a learning function. And at what point does the does that offset your your debt? When does that start to cancel out at least part of the debt, not all of it? That's your, your, that's, this is, there's, there's con converting lines to me, convert, you know, that, that they're in this graph. Um, and I so, think, go ahead. Well, I, I'm having trouble with this conversation. And it, this seems to be a common, common thread for me with some of these conversations. And maybe I'm just not smart enough because, I know I've known many of you for many years and I know that is true, but the problem I'm having is that this doesn't track with what I've experienced in reality in, a, in the IT organization. And so I'm just having trouble kind of following along in terms of the, re like for example, complexity. Why does complexity exist? Well, I think it exists partly because technology is complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think there are some undercurrents that are actually driving that, that we're not talking about. And that comes back to culture. It comes back to some of the challenges of just how we operate within an IT org. I mean, that you know, you go through this process of you have a list of things that you have to get done. And that list is longer than you have resources to do. So what you're thinking about is what is the quickest way to get something done? And sometimes, you know what that means? You just slam that sucker right in as quick as you can and as hard as you can, and you get it done and you move on to the next thing. Why? Because you've got people harping on you and breathing down your neck to get it done. Is it the best way to do it? Is it the most thought, thoughtful way to do it? No, it's not. Does someone want to, do people want to do it differently? Absolutely. Do we have the time and resources to do it? Absolutely not. And so I think part of the problem here is that the complexity came partially from culture, as I just outlined, partially from an assumption within the data center, you could just cross connect things. You could just make these connections between applications. It was relatively easy to do because everything was, was close together. You know, latency wasn't a problem. When you move to cloud, and, and I wrote about this, I don't know how many years ago, when that first Amazon outage hit and everybody was up in arms and they're like, you know, the cloud sucks and, and it's Amazon's fault. And I'm like, bullshit, it's IT's fault. It's IT's fault for not thinking through how to appropriately use resources. And so when you think about the complexity, what this means is yes, using cloud makes it more complicated. I'm assuming infrastructure as a service as opposed to software as a service with that statement, but Either one. It, you have a degree of complexity that you have to think out and the world is getting more complicated for us from an IT professional standpoint. So my, my question is, how do we get to those conversations around those undercurrents to address that and start to make those shifts? Because if we just start addressing the symptoms and never address the core issue, this, this problem is going to perpetuate 
into the future. It's going to continue to perpetuate and we'll continue to dance around it and just hope that automatically it goes away. It's a harder problem to solve, but that's why I'm having trouble. Okay. It is kind of making the connection between the two. Tim, if you think it, you know, just following that very line of reasoning, you, what you, you point to is the budget, whether it's the time budget, whether it's the, the resources you, you have available to address the issue. Um, you've got kind of external forces pushing either the design and deployment or the operation of IT. Mm -hmm. So if that's the issue, it's not, it is a, it's a question of what you place value on. And if you're willing, and it's, it's also risk, you know, what's, what is, uh, it's off putting, it's putting off risk or shifting risk to someone or something else very often. It uh, is, but, but Rich, you have to take it a step further and ask the question. I'm asking, why the you're, question. Okay. I'm asking you the question. What, I mean, you, you set it out just given what you've said, doesn't it, doesn't it imply that risk is not being correctly assessed? Yes. Resources are not being correctly allocated to the problem. Maybe. I, I so, say, so yes, hmm. I do agree that risk is not being um, correctly assessed. Uh, for a number of reasons, everything that, that ranges from just an, a degree of ignorance, and I don't mean stupidity by that, but a degree of just, I, I'm not educated on how to assess, appropriately assess risk, business risk. Um, but then in terms of are the resources being applied to, in the appropriate way, I think, I think it depends on who you ask. So if you ask someone that is close to the problem, they may say, no, they're not, but then they're not effectively communicating that to the folks that are allocating those, those resources. Right. I mean, it's, it, they go hand in hand, the, the risk problem and the, the resource problem, you know, you only get so much to work with and you have to, you have to make do with what you have. And does that mean you cut corners? Yeah, you do. And that's kind of, you know, some could say, oh, well, that's a dirty little secret with an IT. Well, you know what? You hmm. kind of get what you ask for. But, but it's but not just point. IT. Yeah. No, yeah. it's not. It's not just IT. But I mean, we're talking about technology, right? And I'm looking at this from that IT perspective with, and the customer perspective, which ultimately is driving a lot of these decisions and directions. Um, where does responsibility or where does decision-making lie? For what decision-making for what that would address what you just, you've just laid out as the problem. And that's, and this gets back to the core culture issue, Rich, is that it lies with a myriad of different folks at varying degrees. So it doesn't, it doesn't sit with just one person or want, you know, like the, the CIO has, you know, carries all the risk. I mean, in some organizations that might be the case, but you still make judgment calls on it. Okay. Um, so, but, but hope. How would you address it? Well, I think you're talking about two different things, right? I mean, you're talking about, so I'll give you a, a real world example. I was forced a few years ago to deploy a service without monitoring or reporting, right? Where, where did that come from? It came from the top. You, right. you will hit this date. Right. And, and that wasn't a complexity issue. It's a technical debt issue. And it's where the decision making process was made. And it's a lack of understanding about what the impact of that would be. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, you know, well, but, no, but John, but John, even that point. So it's a lack of understanding of what the risk really is. Right. But it's also a lack of ability of those to commu effectively communicate what the risk is too, so that others appropriately understand what that risk is. I, I and, was very clear 
that doing that now would cost us a year in development time as we had to go back and service that technical debt and still have features. And I, I think I made it very clear to the board level. Right. They chose to proceed. And, and I, I could, but that to me is, is slightly different than, than what we're talking about. Okay. Um, I, I think this is all relevant and I, I don't wanna, the, the, the challenge is based on where Tim was going with this is, is that business says, and Greg, if you wanna make your point first, I'm, I'm happy to hold Well, it. I was just gonna actually say that to me, what was just described is the point you were trying to make. Somewhere had a perception that something wasn't as complex or risk as it was. That's risky, right? So in, in Rich's case, he basically was saying, I said this and the executives or decision makers said, no, we're not doing it. That's either because they were ignorant, they chose to have a different priority or their perception of the situation, risk, all those things was different. And to me, part of what you're talking about is this hidden complexity leads for perceptional things that cause bad decisions, right? Because that's really what you're getting at. Yeah. And I mean, even if you take something like technical debt, I mean, most executives don't know what that means. They don't understand what technical debt is or what the implications are to it. And I would even argue that there is some technical debt that is healthy to take on. Mm -hmm. It's not all bad but you have to effectively communicate it. And I sympathize with, with John's example of communicating it to the board and the board still decides to, to continue down a different path. I've run into that a million times as well. And I thought I did a great job of pleading my case in business terms, but yet they went a different direction for different reasons. The, I guess the, the, the challenge that I'm, I'm having here, and, and I feel like this is, me trying to articulate something that is slightly different than technical debt. There's, I think there's a complexity debt. So if you're in a situation, you need to get something done today, the simple answer is go to a service and get that service done. And they're going to take, take that off your hands. And that's a huge win. You didn't have time. You didn't, you know, you didn't want the risk million reasons, Tim, for the business decisions that you're describing, for them to say, we are going to outsource this function and get rid of it. I don't need it. I can get an API and they will take care of it for me. And that's amazing. That to me lets the business go faster. People should do that. And yet behind the scenes, that service is now built on other services and other capabilities that are now completely hidden to you. Complexity is not apparent. And so the challenge becomes if Azure has an, a, a failure in their active, active directory service that keeps your vendor, your vendor's vendor from logging in to scale up a server that, your, that that vendor depended on to provide a service that they needed that then makes their service unreliable to you. Let me put this in the form of a question, Rob. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. I, I trust them to do it better than I trust my own organization, right? So I know how AWS is organized. I know they're basically put into full cycle teams. I know that decision-making process is gonna be made by the technical team, not some executive that has a different business in mind, right? So I put in the question, do we trust them more than we would trust our own executive staff to make those decisions because of how they manage those services? Um, I'm gonna give you what I think is the easy answer, which is hell yes. <laughs> because, because no, but here's the thing. Even if you say, hell yes, they are so much better at this than I am. The, the challenge with the, the Jevons paradox part of this is that they are now adding complexity that they don't see or understand into their systems. And so even if they're amazing at their job doing their thing, the concern I have is that we are making it cheaper and cheaper to build more complex systems and that it's making the entire system more and more complex. And so the, 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 I'm seeing a very clear Jevons paradox at work where I can make my systems more complex and bring in all these services without paying any, a price for that in my own service. Rob, is, but, cheaper, is cheaper the right adjective here? 
uh, less risky. I mean, you could, it, no, well, it's, it's less risky. It's less perception of it's, it's your, your engineering budget. It's, it's there, there, we are adding complexity with lower, with, with, without the, what I would call costs, not dollar costs, but broad costs. Okay. Adding complexity usually entails. So, and that's, that's awesome. Is there a but? Yes. So part of the issue is back to Greg and Mark and whatever the, the systems perspective. Right now, we have a bunch of systems that are every single, every single bit and piece is custom. There are no things that are plug and play. So for instance, your security subsystem, if you could just pull one out and put in another and have the same switches and the same interfaces, the complexity would in many ways be the same, but the risks would drop tremendously. So it's risk and complexity, custom versus uh, off the shelf. And we don't really have, uh, we need a message broker, but we can't just pull rabbit out and put something else in because it's a totally different interface. And that's where we need to come up with subsystems, def define the outlines, the ins, the outs, and the methods, and get everybody to play on the same page. If we had that, the complexity would still be there, but it would be an understandable complexity instead of custom complexity. Yeah, I'll ask you the question again, right? Is, is this just, things are complex, right? Lots of things are complex. Right, getting groceries on a shelf is complex. We don't worry about it. Right, so my, my question is, is this just us feeling a loss of control? Right, because lots of things are complex. And so what makes this complexity different? Is it the speed with which it's moving, Rob? Is it the, the is it, getting used to kind of adopting these simplifications in, in service to kind of faster delivery, faster design and delivery of the solution. And, you know, basically, you know, skating on the edge, skating on the edge of the ice by, by creating a lot of dependencies, hiding a lot of dependencies, which um, aren't being investigated, aren't being aren't being assessed they, properly. They, they, they can't even be. They can't even be assessed. This is this to me is where the Jevons paradox piece comes in. And maybe to Mark's point, this is too esoteric. But if in a Jevons paradox situation, you have a positive feedback loop. Right, that's the, the whole point of it is is that we've we're in a normal complexity situation, the complexity it limits itself because at some point the system becomes too hard to understand, it becomes too messy, it's too fragile. Right, really complex systems have a tendency to be replaced by simpler ones or fall apart, um, or they become incredibly balanced. And one, you know, it's like the wolves in the wolves in the habitat scenario, right? Um, and what, what I'm worried about is that we're overbalanced and I'm okay with being overbalanced from a complexity perspective, but because of the Jevons paradox thing, I see us adding on top of it faster and faster and faster. And to a point where we're hiding, they're hiding a whole bunch of this complexity. And when, when, and, and this is the, the fundamental question. I'm not predicting this. It could be that we've reset the normal. It could be that we've hidden the normal and we're accelerating past sustainable levels of complexity and the whole system's just going to fall apart in an unrepairable way because of us, because of hidden circular dependencies that we're not even thinking about. So I think there's probably a couple of things here, right? One, I had a conversation yesterday with the CTO for a company and, um, you know, they're, they're tasked with making a SaaS transformation of a traditional hardware company. Um, 
And the uncomfort level is that the, the people don't understand uh, cloud metaphors. They don't understand development practices, right? And, and so there's, an un, there's a huge uncomfort level because they, they simply don't know this new thing, right? The transition to these more complex systems are the unknown aspect to it. You know, once they've made the transition to these new things, they don't know how to get visibility into the system, right? So yeah. I, I feel like I've lost control. So there's a knowledge gap. There's a lost control gap. I think, and, and those are, you can overcome those things, right? But I think the part that's actually missing that, that provides the comfort level down there is kind of operational intelligence, right? Having visibility into the state of all those complex things and be able to visualize them and understand um, you know, where my system is at, right? And, and that's not something we have today, right? In these cloud environments, that, that level of operational intelligence really doesn't exist or it's been developed by a handful of people um, that have built it on their, their own stacks, right? And so I, I question whether it's a missing piece of technology, right, in the stack layer that, that I, I do think we are missing and whether or not that would provide the comfort level to say, I'm, I'm okay with this set of, of technologies because I have the visibility and to some extent it, 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 you always had the ability to make control, right? You, you can make a change in your service. You can increase capacity, downgrade. Um, but I think it is the <clears throat> cross-service visibility and operational intelligence that's the missing piece. I think that's where people feel uncomfortable. Okay. We're over, so I, I, I think that's a good last word. All right, everybody. Thank you for the robust discussion and helping me work through this uh, question. So, see you next week. As usual, a really dynamic conversation about a really important thing about how cloud technology is progressing. Uh, is the level of complexity in the infrastructure sustainable? Is it going to be hidden away and we won't care about it like engines in our cars? Or are we going to have challenges with the electric grid as we elect move to electric cars that haven't been thought through? And how does that analogy translate into actually building cloud infrastructure and technology, which is in some ways even more complex than moving electrons across the planet? If these are interesting topics to you uh, and you have opinions, please join us at the2030.cloud and bring your voice to the conversation. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.